You're listening to Coaching for Leaders. This is episode number 66. This week's topic, seven ways to survive performance reviews. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to improve themselves so they can better engage and develop others. Whether you're a seasoned leader or leading people for the first time, improving your leadership skills will drive your success, and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic is seven ways to survive performance reviews. Well, hello and welcome to Coaching for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak. I'm coming to you from out here in Orange County, California, and I am joined by often guest leadership extraordinaire, fantastic wife, professor, so many wonderful things I could say about you, Bonnie Stahoviak. And I am here in the background trying not to laugh too hard or (laughs) choke. (laughs) Well, you know, this is how we roll. I try to be the nice professional organized one and you're the, uh, you provide all the creative professional disorganized. Yeah, just that wasn't that wasn't working. Anyway, welcome <laughs> to the show. We're <laughs> glad to be here to talk to you again this week for our topic: seven ways to survive performance reviews. Can I just say up front? I don't think anyone really likes performance reviews. I know that for the most part in my career, I have not enjoyed them. And it was funny because this is the first time you've invited me to be on your show, and the first time I thought. Man. <laughs> well, this is a it's a perfect segue into my first opening point for this, which is I don't think anyone really enjoys performance reviews that much because either with performance reviews, a lot of people kind of fall into two categories for me when I talk to leaders is either they've been doing a really good job communicating with the people they lead throughout the performance review time, whether it's six months, a year, however long. And the performance review ends up sort of being busy work. It's like, okay, now we've got to get all this down somewhere formally. Um, And it takes a lot of time if you do it well. Or the opposite, more unfortunate situation, which is as a leader, that person hasn't really had any good dialogue with the people that they've been leading over whatever, again, that time frame is. And now they have to have some in many cases, some difficult conversations with people and give feedback, and that becomes really uncomfortable. So uh, whichever way you look at it, this is not an easy time for leaders. The other thing that comes up is that if you think about typically most companies, how they structure performance reviews, they are oftentimes tied to some kind of compensation increase. Mm. And so even if you end up being an outstanding performer or having an outstanding performer on your team, And then if anyone actually has the courage to rate someone as an average performer, who's indeed an average performer, typically the dollar amount difference in, if you calculate out, you know, maybe it's a 3% for average and a 5% and that'd be huge, you know, well, the difference between the 3% and the 5% or the 2% and the 4%, it's just not that significant in terms of making a difference in one's compensation. And so it kind of is, you know, well, it's kind of a joke. And then a lot of people don't even have the courage to really talk to people who, you know, aren't the stellar. So then we're going to make everyone the stellar or mm-hmm. everyone's going to kind of be good, but not great. And because we couldn't have people being great because then that threatens me as a leader. And so it's really, there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of politics, a lot of anxiety. Oh, yeah. 
And you really wonder, businesses, in fact, wonder, are we accomplishing the goals we've set out? And even some companies have decided to do away with performance reviews entirely. In fact, there's a book out called Get Rid of the Performance Review. And there are some organizations that have started to reconsider whether this is a valuable use of their manager's time. Although I will say I've I'm not convinced that a lot of the organizations that have done away with it and the reading I've done and the research that they've replaced it with something that's substantially better. So the hope would be is that leaders are having good, genuine conversations when performance reviews go away. But as we all know, there are leaders who don't do that very consistently. And so that's one of the challenges that comes up with this. I have had some good experiences, though, and I wanted to share a quick story, and then we'll get into some of the recommendations. Go for it. And that is that in the academic environment, people might know about a little bit about you know working toward what's called tenure. And so I was doing that before, and I reported then to a dean of the School of Business and Management. Mm-hmm. And he was great. I think he gave me, pro- I think... We probably had maybe three performance reviews, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And there were four broad areas that were looked at in evaluating my tenure. And But a lot of it in the academic environment is kind of you documenting your own progress. Certainly, someone in a supervisory role can come in and provide some color, some perspective to what you're doing. But you have a lot of autonomy in an academic environment, which is why I thrive in them in some ways and in other ways, not so much, but in terms of the autonomy, I love it. And so he was great because, you know, we could, I could bring forward and talk about things perhaps he hadn't seen that weren't, you know, a part of his particular role because Mm -hmm. I might've been collaborating with people across the campus, but he would always, you know, be really open to that. And I felt very encouraged. I remember leaving the room with him each time feeling like, wow, I didn't even realize he would have noticed that and put Mm -hmm. it in writing. That was neat that he would even have remembered it. And then now it's documented by someone else besides myself as I was building my portfolio items. And that really made me feel special and made me feel valued by him. And boy, I'll tell you in the academic environment, it is not often that one has something that happens that makes you feel super special and super valued from external sources like that. I mean, it can be a tough road sometimes. And I really appreciated that from him. And I think it was that, you know, he was pretty organized about keeping throughout the years that he supervised me keeping that, you know, tucking it away in a folder so that when it came time to actually document, he got to surprise me by even remembering something I might not have remembered. Mm. So part of what we can be doing as leaders is, you know, doing that documentation, you know, tucking things away. And I really did feel encouraged by him. And I didn't feel like he thought he had to bring up stuff that was kind of the cheap shot. Well, I got to say something negative. So here we go. Or I've been holding this out on you and never mentioned it to you. And the couple of things that he suggested improvement on, I remember really feeling inspired by the feedback thinking, wow, that would be a great area to focus on. And I feel like I could tackle that in the coming year. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's the ideal. That's exactly the types of conversations that we all want to have as leaders with the people that we lead, which is that we're having a regular dialogue, regular conversations, and that it's enriching to us as employees, as people who are getting those performance reviews. And we, as in turn, as leaders, want to be able to provide that same type of environment and experience to the people we're leading to the extent that that's possible. And so we've put together a list of uh, seven things that we think that if you 
keep in mind during this performance review season, as it is this time of the year, that will help you to become a little bit more effective at being able to engage people and to be able to move beyond just kind of what's on the physical piece of paper for the performance review. So the first one here is start early and do the hardest ones first. Now, this is good advice on anything. I'm thinking about the Zig Ziglar quote, actually. Zig Ziglar passed away this week. I I uh, had put a note up on our website, and he had this great quote that he said, you know, if if you've got to swallow a frog, you just don't want to look at it too long. And so my advice would be is that if, if, and you know who the tough reviews will be, if you have a team of 20 people and there's one or two that are going to be really difficult reviews, is do those first and get those out of the way. Because if you wait until the very end, the um, the anticipation, the frustration, the stress about those reviews is going to cloud your judgment on a lot of other things and a lot of other conversations. So you know, start there. Start with the hardest ones first, because once you get past that, your success rate will be higher. You'll have more confidence going into later and later conversations. And it gets easier along the way too then as well. Coupled with that, number two, if you need to, practice. Sometimes we are going to have some difficult conversations, and hopefully they aren't the first time you're having these difficult conversations, but sometimes we need to continue to have the kind of tough dialogue around someone's performance where it may not be meeting the kinds of expectations that you have or the organization has. And so sometimes we need to practice. We can do that with a trusted friend. We can do that with a trusted colleague. Again, someone not related to the situation that sure. we can just you know practice going through those words and taking some of the emotion out of it because it should be a very fact-oriented conversation, a very objective conversation to the extent that that's possible. Yeah. And this is something that I have seen leaders do very well when they're walking into a tough situation. And for the most part, you know when you're delivering a performance review if the conversation has the potential to be very difficult or if you're giving someone tough feedback. Um, You are best to practice that in advance because if you don't, a lot of times your own emotions may get in the way. You may end up saying things you don't anticipate saying. And so like Bonnie said, find someone that you can practice with who's not involved in the situation. One sure resource for many people in many organizations is to talk to folks who are in your human resource function in your organization. Um, they're great people to talk to anyway, anytime you have a tough situation with a performance review because they can provide perspective for you. But they're also great people to practice these situations with too. Uh, I've had many times in my career where I uh, either have been involved myself or someone else of seeing an HR person be willing to step in and either practice or role play that situation before it happens because it's in their best interest for that conversation to go smoothly as well too because they want to be able to um, help you to resolve that situation with the employee. I can remember I had a, a colleague who really mentored me a lot as far as some of the tough conversations with students. Now, a student isn't like a manager, you know, reporting relationship type of thing. But, you know, there's a different power base for Mm -hmm. a professor and a student. So there are some similarities. And I can remember really feeling like the emotions would potentially get away from me when they just bald face lie to you. (laughs) It's just like, Uh. wow. I mean, you know, catching someone cheating and they're just not prepared to tell you that they cheated and to own 
their choices and we'll yeah. come up with all sorts of things. And I can remember with her just thinking, you know, how do I do this? How do I have this conversation and have it stay? And, and you know, kind of wanting to do some practice with her. And I love how she could take something where I want to say, you're a big liar. You know, <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> how can you lie? And you know, it's kind of personal to me too. Like, how do you think I'm so stupid? You know, yeah, I, yeah. all these things come into mind. And she would have great phrases like, the evidence does not support that. Mm. What you have just shared, yes, the evidence doesn't support that. So really it's having someone who's a little bit away from the situation, has more experience with it, yes. can really be great. Yes, exactly. Next we have number three, don't spring surprises. Yeah, and if I could have you remember one thing from this conversation, if nothing else, is don't spring surprises on people in a performance review. In a perfect world, a performance review is a summary of the conversation you've been having over the last six to 12 months with the person you're leading. And so, um, Bonnie, I had this great experience earlier in my career where I worked for a company that had a rule. It was an unwritten rule, but it was part of the culture of the company that there was no surprises at performance reviews. That if you were going to communicate bad news to someone in a performance review, you had better been talking to that person about that thing for the you know couple months leading up to it, unless it was a new situation, but it was expected from managers that they would communicate that very clearly and very openly throughout the relationship. And in fact, if you try to communicate something negatively in a performance review that you hadn't been communicating to that person all along, you were often coached not to, and it was considered your responsibility as a manager to have not addressed that. And so, one thing to for sure do is to get. And, and, and this is hard for a lot of us as leaders because we're all challenged with time, but to get out of this mindset of we give feedback and we give coaching to people during the 45 minutes we're delivering the performance review. Yes, we may do that, but really the real leadership, the real coaching should be happening all the way prior leading up to that time. It should be happening months before, um, six months before, nine months before. You should be having regular conversations if something isn't happening. So there shouldn't be major surprises when it comes time to sit down for the performance review. Now, I say this, and of course, we don't live in a perfect world. Uh, in many cases, leaders will inherit someone who, you know, they've only been leading for a short period of time and they do need to give a more difficult review and they need to give feedback. And it may be the first time they've really had an opportunity to do that. If that's the case and you absolutely have to spring surprise on someone during a performance review, is at least give them time to save face. Um, if you can, send the feedback in advance. Give them a time to internalize it, to react to it in whatever way they're going to react to it. So when you actually are sitting down one-on-one -on -one and having the conversation, you can have a more productive conversation about what the next step is going to be. I, I would just caution around sending that over email. I, I mean, I still think that should be a face-to-face, -face, but a face-to-face right. -face not as a part of an official on the record type of performance review discussion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But give them that opportunity in, in, in whatever way you can to internalize that, to react the way they're going to, and then to hopefully have a more productive conversation about now what are we going to do going forward. And if you're a newer as a supervisor, you have a great opportunity to allow them to save face a bit too of, gosh, you know, not sure I have seen this happen. I'm not sure kind of the background behind if this has been acceptable before in the past. Perhaps this is something that the former manager was okay with. That's not going to be okay with me mm -hmm. as we move forward. And so one, and perhaps that doesn't even then get documented in the performance review. If it's not essential that it be there, but the conversation's been had, perhaps not in writing, 
perhaps, I mean, just depends. You have kind of have a lot of variables here, but you can really kind of soften the hard news that you're giving by, hmm, hmm, scratch of the head, not sure what's happened before. Mm-hmm. Here's what it needs to look like going forward. Right, exactly. Number four, balance the conversation appropriately. So what we mean by that is that if this particular person that you are leading is doing a great job on 80 to 90% of their work, is that 80 to 90% of your conversation with them at performance review time should be about good things. It should be praising them for the good work they've done. It should be talking about and giving examples for things that they've done effectively and appropriately. And then you have the 10 to 20% of things that they would need to improve upon. Now, the opposite, of course, is also true that if they are not doing effectively in a good portion of their job, then the conversation, of course, will need to focus around that. The mistake that I've seen a lot of leaders make is that the whatever the feedback is doesn't match the um, the totality of the conversation. So, Bonnie, this actually happened to me earlier this year. I was observing a manager who was giving feedback to one of his employees because I was in a situation where I'd been asked to do some coaching with this employee. And so um, we all got together, the three of us, this manager, his employee, and we talked about in advance i had talked with this manager about you know what kind of feedback he had and he had a lot of critical feedback for this employee and what the work that he was doing and how he was performing and then when we got together to actually talk about that feedback and for him to deliver that feedback and to talk about coaching um 90% of the conversation was positive it was about all the good things mm-hmm. that he had done for the organization and it was only briefly mentioned that there was an issue and I remember we finished up the conversation and the employee walked out of the room and the manager sat down and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, I can't coach this person. I can't coach this person because the problem isn't with them. The problem is with the feedback they're getting. They believe they're doing a great job. If I had been sitting listening to this, I would have thought they were doing a fantastic job in their work. And yet I know something very differently from what you told me earlier. But because the the ratio was so out of sync with what was reality that the employee got a very, very different message. Some people were taught early in their management careers that you do the sandwich effect. Mm-hmm. Here's something nice. Oh, and this is something that should get better. Here's something nice again. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. No. Because we're smarter than that as people, and we're going to realize that that's what the person's doing. It's not going to come across very genuine. It's not going to have a lot of constructive you know, ability to perform, you know, any kind of influence over the person's potential for change. Number five, give specific examples. Now, this is on both the side of if something's not working well, but also on the side when things are working well. If you can give specific examples, you become a lot more credible as a leader. Now, you may believe you're credible. You may have the best intentions as a leader when you're giving feedback. But if you're not able to verbalize specific examples where that person has performed well, or maybe there's been a mistake that that person's been making in their work and then in their contribution to the organization, then you're not going to be very helpful either as appearing credible or of helping that person make corrections. So for example, if I was to say to you, Bonnie, if I was giving you feedback, well, you haven't been a very good listener this year, so I need you to be a better listener. That is really tough feedback to take without a specific example of where the listening hasn't been effective. So if you're going to give someone constructive feedback, 
you better have a couple of examples of where specifically you've observed or you've seen or you've received feedback that that's been a concern. And same thing on the positive end too. You know, if you just say, oh, you did a great job this year, that's not going to seem genuine unless you, again, have specific examples where you can demonstrate to that employee that you have truly noticed them doing a great job. Yeah, I think that specificity is so important and on the positive side is so crucial, like you said, to to really be celebrating not just you're doing a great job. Boy, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So yeah. having specific stories to tell of where that person performed superbly is so powerful. And this is huge in trust building as well, too, because if you have specific examples, you demonstrate to people that you're paying attention to the work that they're doing. You are also um, showing people, even if they don't agree with you on your feedback, you're showing people that you've taken the time to um, listen, to watch, to understand, and then you've given them a very specific thing that they can correct. So that's huge for you building trust with someone you're leading, particularly if you're giving them tough feedback. One of the things when you're both writing down your feedback for the actual written performance review, as well as when you're saying it to the person, you want to be as objective as possible. So you don't want to ascribe meaning behind people's actions. So the classic one is you're not going to write down, you've got a bad attitude. Mm. You've got a bad attitude. First of all, I don't know anyone. I shouldn't say no, anyone. (laughs) I'm sure I know someone. It's rare that you would find someone who would sign up for, yep, that's exactly characterizes me to a T. And so that's something that can put someone on the defensive and therefore not be extremely helpful. And sometimes the you've got a bad attitude eventually translates to you no longer have a job. Mm-hmm. And so to be fair to that individual, the bad attitude is what's in potentially in someone's head. And you can't really get inside someone's head. A lot of times we tend or to measure it. We tend to think that we can, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's perception is reality. Yes. But in the terms of writing something down, we need to be specific. How is that potential bad attitude manifesting itself. And so I can recall one time, long time ago, having someone who would really kind of show what I perceived as not wanting to be in meetings. Mm. And so as we sat down and talked about, you know, that as a possibility, it was the tapping of the pen repeatedly on the desk. And everybody was uh-huh. kind of one of those, okay. And so we could focus on the tapping on the pen on the desk, even though we both knew that's not what it was, but versus the feeling that I had that you don't want to be there, you know, not as helpful. So we want to talk about behaviors. We want to talk right. about observable behaviors. And yes, I mean, I think we can sometimes maturely get to the point of, after we talk about those measurable, observable behaviors of, gosh, kind of, can we talk about what's really going on? You know, we, we can try mm-hmm. that if we have established some trust with the individual. Sometimes we'll get there to have that kind of authentic conversation. But boy, anything you're going to bring up like that better have a backup of a lot of examples. And if you do have examples and you have three or four of them and you can engage in a conversation that way, I've seen it where people will say, you know what, I, I just don't really have a good attitude about meetings. And then you can really have the conversation yes. you want to have about, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about that then. So yeah. then it becomes a much more genuine conversation. Number six, hold your ground. This is where practice becomes really important and experience is helpful too. If you are giving some, particularly if you're giving someone tougher feedback, if you have to give them a lower rating, 
maybe they're not expecting it or maybe their perception may be different is that you know once you've made that decision as a leader that you really should hold your ground now that's not to say that you may never go back and make a change it's not to say that you may never make a correction to something if you after a conversation or feedback from others you feel as though you may have made an error but generally speaking once you've decided on an assessment once you've decided on what feedback you're going to give to a person you really should hold your ground and make sure that you're consistent in the message you're sending if your conversation becomes very different than what's on the piece of paper that's happening in front of you, then you're sending a very mixed message as a leader. And that becomes very challenging for people to be able to understand and understand where you want them to go. Number seven, you want to avoid talking about people who aren't in the room. Oh, this is so easy to get caught in this. And particularly if there's something that an employee is getting feedback on that maybe other people have or haven't gotten feedback on. Um, A lot of times I find that people like to compare themselves to others and say, well, this person, this, and this person, that, and I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, Bonnie, but I've been shocked. I've had conversations with people and organizations I've worked with where, uh, and I'm thinking about a situation about a year and a half ago where someone sat down with me and it was right after they'd received their performance review and we were talking about it. And they said, well, here's what the raise so-and-so got. Here's the raise this person got. Here's the raise. He knew he knew the entire organization of what everyone raises got like all these people talked about it. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And but he was using it in conversation with his manager to try and negotiate a different raise. It was really just very inappropriate. And unfortunately, the manager was engaging in some of that, too. And so you really you, you're not going to be able to always prevent the person you're leading from talking about other people, but you want to not engage there because that is not something you can win. You can't, it's hard enough to have a conversation about one person's feedback. It's not fair to be comparing to other people in the organization. Sometimes the culture sort of shapes our behavior around this and other issues having to do with the performance review. Some of you may have heard of Jack Welch before, and he is of course famous for having run GE for many, Mm -hmm. many years. And he has the A players, B players, C players methodology of performance reviews. Some of you may have heard of as far as A players, only a certain percentage of the organization is allowed to receive an A rating and therefore receive a maximum increase. Then there are the B players who are grateful to, or should be grateful, I should say, to be able to keep their jobs. Mm -hmm. And so they receive then the next, you know, rung down. And they actually, in organizations that subscribe to his methodology, have to continually be turning over the bottom, the bottom ranked people. And so there's kind of this, I think there are some good things that can come out of that because then you're sort of forcing the, nope, you know, everybody doesn't get to be great, even if everyone isn't great. And I also think that there's some really awful things can come as a result of, I would not want to work in a culture like that. My style of leadership would not be a good fit. And at the same time, I, you know, I've never led where everyone gets to be great. It's kind of, I mean, everyone can be if everyone truly is, but I haven't necessarily shied away from those tough conversations because I do really enjoy working with a team of people who are all striving toward a shared goal. So that's what really gets me out of bed in the morning. And so I haven't, you know, shied away from those conversations. I mean, no one loves them. But that desire to achieve the goal was greater than the desire to have us not have to have difficult conversations. And so I wouldn't do well to work in that kind of an arena, but a lot of people do out there. You listening might be in a situation where 
that's, that's the reality of how you're going to be assessed for your own performance. And you're going to have to rank the A's, the B's and the C's. And I think the intention behind that is very good. And organizations that do that is what they are essentially forcing people to do is to have the tough conversations that they should be having. The methodology sometimes is a little questionable and how organizations carry that out. But the overall goal here is have honest feedback with people. Have had good conversations and don't just have it during the performance review, have it throughout the year. And if you can do that, you're going to have a much more successful time, not only during performance reviews, but you're going to have a much more successful time of being able to lead people and develop them throughout the year, which is, of course, if you're listening to the show, what you care about a lot. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before, but you you kept using the phrase have to. <laughs> None of us have to. So we can choose that this is going to be the sword that we fall on. True. And so, you know, continually assessing, is this the kind of organization that matches my leadership values and beliefs? And if it isn't, that doesn't mean we quit today. You know, reality says we got to pay those bills, but the long-term thinking, the long-term planning to work for an organization that believes in how to truly maximize human potential, that's the goal for all of us. So Bonnie, a few of our listeners had emailed me in the last couple of weeks and they said, hey, when you do a list, can you recap it at the end? So I'm I'm not a huge believer in recapping stuff at the end, but I'm going to do it in this show here to give a quick recap of what we just talked about. If you like it, email me, let me know. If you don't like it, email me, we'll stop doing it. But let's give a quick recap of what we talked about. So number one, start early and do the harder ones first. Number two, if you need to, practice. Number three, don't spring surprises. And if you absolutely have to, at least give people some time to save face. Number four, balance the conversation appropriately. If 80% of of the feedback is good, that's 80% of the conversation. Number five, give specific examples. Number six, hold your ground. And finally, number seven, avoid talking about others that aren't a part of the conversation. Be ready for folks who are going to have those conversations. And if you do these seven things, I think you'll find that you'll be more successful at handling, which for a lot of us is a challenging time, having genuine conversations during performance reviews. Bonnie, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Dave. Hopefully that review was helpful. If you are still looking for more details on any of those items we've talked about on this episode, the best way to track down the show notes is to go to our website, coachingforleaders.com forward slash 66. So that's again, coachingforleaders.com forward slash the number six, the number six. That'll take you right to the show notes for the episode. That's also the best place to join the conversation. If there's things on this list that you've done that you've had success with, love to hear about it on the website. If there's things you'd like to add to the list, if there's things you've tried here that haven't worked for you, would like to know that too. So be sure to jump on the website and join the conversation there. And you can also see what other folks are saying about this episode. In addition, you can also always call in feedback to our feedback hotline. That number is 949-38-LEARN. Feel free to leave a message there. Would love to include your feedback, comment, or question on a future episode. And of course, you can always send email to me at feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And just a reminder that I am sending out a weekly midweek article on something that'll help you to engage and develop others. It's sort of like a midweek booster shot. So you get your 
main booster shot here on Monday morning with information about something you can use hopefully right away this week and in performance reviews. Many of us are doing that this time of the year. But if you're looking for something midweek as well, be sure to subscribe to our weekly article update. You'll get a weekly article from me, real quick read, something that'll help you to lead more effectively. Last week's topic was how to restore productivity when people are angry. So if you would like to get that weekly update, just go to coachingforleaders.com forward slash subscribe, and that will get you onto our weekly article updates. All the articles are from me, and I'm constantly looking for ways that you can get more value from this show. So, and by the way, if you missed any of the last few weeks articles, you can get them on our website. Those are archived at coachingforleaders.com. Just hit the button up there that says read when you get to the website, and that will get you there with all of the past articles as well. I want to say a very special thank you to Thomas Peterson Frias, Georgios Teolidis, Abdul Kalam, and Chong Chong Gio. Thank you so much for liking our page on Facebook this week. If you're not yet on our Facebook page, you'll get all the notes about the episodes, articles, resources I'm reading, just anything that I feel would be helpful to you during the week to help keep you engaging and developing others. Just go to coachingforleaders.com forward slash Facebook. Hit like, you'll get them as well. Hey, the link for the show notes again is on our website, coachingforleaders.com forward slash 66. As always, this show airs every single Monday. And remember, wherever you are in the world, whatever's on your agenda today, take just one idea from the show to engage and develop someone you lead. Have a great week, everyone.